Good afternoon. Welcome to the Mr. Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Mottram. It is Monday, September 11th, and joining me here in the virtual recording studio from the Washington City Paper, it's Matt Turrell. Matt, welcome to another exciting season of Redskins football. It's so exciting. That is the right word. Well, uh, I felt terrible about this game going into it. And uh, unfortunately, all of my fears were were validated. <laughs> um, I thought that they were going to lay an egg. And most of the first half, they, they followed that script to a T. And ultimately, uh, yeah, it was a super disappointing game. Well, so I have to admit they didn't live down to all my expectations because I thought the defense looked better than I really expected them to. Um, it's not saying much, but... I, they didn't fail on every level. Yeah, I mean, the defense, I want to get more into the defense later, but I will say that, like, they weren't bad, especially compared to last year, but they still gave up over 20 points to a okay offense, you know, like not a great offense. Um, so, yeah, I feel like it was, like, average defense, which I guess is an upgrade. Yes, but fortunately the offense downgraded correspondingly, so uh, your net result is correct. It was disappointing and uninspiring and, frankly, miserable to watch. The offense was dog shit. They scored 10 points at home in week one with a full, like, clean bill of health. What? Hang on a second. I'm, I'm, it's a bit of a sidetrack, but, I mean, you say at home as if... That's an advantage. Playing, yeah, as if playing in that stadium should somehow improve their chances. Well, I mean, it's almost like a neutral field. You know, like they're not at Philly. Like it would be harder to win on the road, I think, despite FedEx Field's lack of home field advantage. See, I, I actually don't know that I agree. And even leaving aside just like the dumb jokes about, I mean, quote unquote jokes about FedEx Field being terrible, like I. I think that when they're on the road, you get what you expect. You get the opposing team's fans. Maybe you're a little excited that, you know, some of your people show right. up, but whatever. Uh, whereas I think at home, I think it's demoralizing as hell to go in there and have it, you know, your fans aren't there. The other team's fans are. Uh, everybody's miserable. You're getting booed. When was it? Midway through the second quarter that the booze started? I mean, it was uh, – that had to be a demoralizing experience. I I mean, I've I get – demoralized as a fan going into FedEx field. <laughs> I think you're right. Being as a player might have a similar effect. Um, I will apologize to our listeners right off the bat. We're both driving. Hopefully the sound quality is okay. Uh, stick with us. Um, and, you know, in a related story, what we've done on the Mr. Irrelevant blog for like 10 years is we post winners and losers after every game. I've done it, Matt, you've done it. Um, my brother's pitched in. Now I don't think any of us have time for that shit. Like we're all, we all have kids and jobs and it's easier for the two of us just to get on the phone and do this. Um, so instead of winners and losers, which I don't think is a very good format for podcasts, I'd like to just like go through the offense first, the offensive side of the ball, then move over to defense. And if we want to get into coaching and special teams after that, we can. Um, let's start with Cousins. Uh, I think you wrote about Cousins' performance for the city paper. I haven't read it yet because I've been on the road. What what what's your takeaway from from what was obviously a, a poor showing on his part? Well, it's a poor showing on his part, but it's a poor showing on his part in exactly the same way he's had poor showings before. And I think, I mean, it, it it's actually really interesting to me because in the run up to the Cousins contract, I think you and I we talked on the podcast uh, about. You know, how much the Redskins should offer. And I had some, like, 
staggeringly insane numbers that you know turned out were well beyond what they actually offered. Right. Um, but we, we were both working from this assumption that he is a better than average quarterback. You had a phrase for it that I don't remember, but like he was, he was good. You know, he, the, the search could end and you'd be okay with it. And I feel like seeing him actually play and recognizing that this was not entirely dissimilar from the cousins we've seen before, a few boneheaded decisions, uh, some seeming like failure to see the field, to see the open receiver, um, things that it's what we expected and watching it. I, what I found myself thinking, what I wrote about a little bit, or touched on in the piece is that if everything else had gone exactly the same this offseason uh, and everything else had gone the same in the first game with the only exception being that they offered Cousins basically like the Matt Stafford contract deal, I think they would be getting shredded today. I think they would be getting mocked. I think we as fans, uh, as, as observers, would be beyond critical that they had paid top-tier dollar for a really middling quarterback. And I think that that I think this was a strong reminder that that may well be what Cousins is. That's a great point. I hadn't looked at this game through the lens of what if they had given him $125 million plus. It would be brutal. Um, but, you know, he's been bad before. He's been good before. I, and I think that's he's had problems with consistency. This game was consistently awful. Like, he was bad from the jump. I mean, he clearly had a just a terrible interception in the fourth quarter in the, in the red zone when they only needed uh, a field goal to take the lead. You know, that, that overthrow on Crowder was just like a bad Rex Grossman interception. Uh, it wasn't even bad Kirk Cousins. I'm going bad Rex level. But there was also, I think on the first drive or second drive earlier in the game, he had another throw into like the, uh, the flat on the right side that was right in the lap of an Eagles defensive back. That could have been a pick six if the guy had didn't have Carlos Rogers' hands. Um, on top of that, like he was sailing balls over the middle all day. Like he was high over the middle, inaccurate. He, I mean, he just looked he just looked like the worst version of himself. Well, and that moves us. This this may move us into the other parts of the offense, but I think it really um, it unraveled. I don't know, all 85% of the optimism from the offseason because we would say things like, oh, you know, sure, uh, Deshaun Jackson and, and, and Pierre Garçon left, but uh, Terrell Pryor is a breakout. He's going to be a number, he's a solid number one receiver, and Josh Dotson's healthy, so that's, that's going to be great. And uh, it became very clear that, like, no, those two guys being gone makes a huge difference in how Cousins can perform and how Crowder can perform, what Jordan Reed can do, and also... I don't think it's a coincidence that, uh, you know, out in L.A., Jared Goff is looking like a solid, uh, you know, a, a middling but possibly good enough stop the search quarterback because you've got McVay out there. And I'm, I think there's an argument to be made, and we'll see next week and we'll see through the rest of the season, that losing Sean McVay is a huge deal for Kirk Cousins also. Well, and I don't want to put the whole loss on Cousins. I will just say, though, before we move on from him, that they can't win when he plays like that. You know, I mean, yeah, maybe they could win if they get some, like, you know, special teams and defensive big plays or something. But they, if he plays like that, they are a bad, bad team that is not going to beat anybody decent. Uh, not helping out is the wide receivers. I'll start with Pryor. Uh, he had a 
a really unfortunate drop in the fourth quarter when they were backed up on their own goal line at 99 yards to go. I think it was second or third down. Cousins hit him over the middle for what should have been a first down. Prior straight up dropped it. And that was only like his second. That was his only official drop of the day. But the worst drop was in the first half when Cousins hit, Cousins hit him in a bomb in the end zone. Uh, it would have been called back for holding anyways on Jordan Reed. And what the fuck is Jordan Reed blocking in pass protection for anyways? But that was like, that was Cousins' best throw of the day. Deep ball on the money, right in Pryor's basket, and he dropped it. Well, I mean, uh, you're also there letting him off the hook for losing the first one in the sun or whatever he lost it in. Uh, on the Was that the very first play from scrimmage, right? Yeah, that, that was the first play. It was so weird that they would, I mean, clearly they, they must have scripted that. And it was almost like he didn't even know that the ball would be coming his way. Yeah, I, I really think that they they came out. I think that was a statement play, and I think the statement was supposed to be, you know, we've got weapons, we can go deep, we're we're really pushing this. This is you know, oh, this is going to be crazy. Uh, and I think the actual statement was, that there's a very real real problem here. <laughs> I mean, he put <laughs> so Pryor had like six catches, sixty something yards. No touchdowns, 11 targets. So his completion, you know, his receiver completion percentage was like 50-something percent. It's basically exactly the stat line he put up for the season in Cleveland last year. <laughs> you know, like that's not encouraging. Because, you know, the whole narrative was like, oh, well, they didn't have any quarterbacks. It's Cleveland. He's going to do way better with the skins and this offense with Cousins and Gruden. And, yeah, it was the, the, the productivity was not there. No, to say the least, it was not there, and I'm I I felt like you know, let's move on. The who which receiver would you talk about next? Well, hold on. I will say though that Pryor is a sexy beast. Like you know, those like short screens and and uh, like the the, the kind of like catch radius or whatever. Like it's exciting to see him play. I just wish that you know there weren't two bad drops and some miscommunication along the way. <laughs> Um, yeah, I had the opposite reaction. See, I, I, I had the, boy, you sure see why some people would believe that, you know, he can do it. But I was much more put off right. by what, what happened than I was excited by how it looked. Well, and that's how, you know, it was hard to explain. Why well, was Terrell Pryor only getting one year, you know, $8 million or whatever his deal was? And, well, you know, that, that might be it. Um, can we go to Josh Doxson next? And, and, like, I guess more specifically, like, what is going on with Josh Doxson? He, did he even see the field yesterday? I think, yeah, he was on the field. I don't know if he did anything, but I know there was a flurry of tweets at some point saying, well, hey, Doxson was in on that play, so I guess he was there. I, I was off Twitter for the whole game, and I don't know that he got targeted. I don't, I don't remember seeing him. I mean, maybe I just missed it. I was, you know, parenting and stuff. It, it's it's hard to keep up. Did you read uh, Matt Ufford's column about parenting while watching the NFL? Total tangent here. <laughs> no, I saw that he's got a new uh, NFL dad column, but I I didn't read it. I actually thought it was pretty terrific. I was very jealous that I had never never even tried something similar myself. But anyway, that's a pointless side note. Well, hey, um, I will say though, to Mr. Relevant listeners, Matt Ufford is great. Anything he writes or does is worthwhile. Yeah, and this was this was actually it was fun, and it it I it spoke to me. I think it'll speak to you. It'll, you know, the the all all of us relative people have made the transition from spending all day drunk watching football to realizing that we have to pay attention to our kids too. It was it was a good piece, um, but we're dodging the issue here, uh, which is that 
uh, how, how many times this has to happen before we can officially say that this is uh, Devin Thomas 2.5 or whatever number <laughs> we're up to now? Josh Doxson is an enigma wrapped in like some very light bandaging. Not a cast. He's just like a little taped up enigma who will never see the field. <laughs> yeah, an enigma wrapped in bandaging sitting on a stationary bike on the sidelines. Um, okay, while we're on the receivers, Ryan Grant had a day yesterday. That was like Ryan Grant's, you know, like... Uh, break signature performance. He had like 60 yards. And, you know, most most fans would probably peg him as like maybe the fourth wide out uh, of the bunch. I found it hilarious that the Fox booth kept referring to him as like the Rodney Dangerfield of the Redskins. He gets no respect. Rodney Dangerfield was like a, a great comic from the 80s with an incredible career, you know, track record. Like, and that was his shtick. He didn't get no respect. Ryan Grant has never done a thing. He's never done. Yes. Why, why would he get respect? He's the fourth or fifth receiver on the Redskins. There had to be people watching that game who had literally never heard of Ryan Grant before, including and, Redskins fans, and deservedly so. <laughs> I, I here's my question about Ryan Grant: Do you think that Gruden is aware of Scott McLuhan's Ryan Gruden comment? No, I don't think I don't think I'm aware of that. Oh yeah, oh no. So McLuhan, uh, in, on one of his many ill-advised Twitter experiences. Uh, somebody asked, you know, hey, what do you think of Ryan Grant? And he responded, you mean Ryan Gruden? Uh, um, nailed it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but what I find myself wondering, like, I, I assume that somebody out there is scouring, you know, just, just bringing them, like, all the kind of memes and general, general internet crap that's out there. Uh, I, like, I feel like he's aware of it, and he was just like, you know what? I'm all in. I'm doubling down on it. Yeah. I am actually adopting Ryan Grant. I, I'm really in, enjoying like the post Redskins Scott McLuhan experience on Twitter, on podcasts. Like I, I mean, at some point it'll be overload, but I'm not there yet. Um, but the the thing with like the calling him Rodney Dangerfield or, or the can't get no respect that that was a great example I thought of like a national broadcast booth having no idea about like the team that they're calling. You know, like they don't know the flavor of the team like the team's fans or like the team's local media would but so but somebody had to tell them so they had to sit down in the production meeting <laughs> I think beforehand. It, well, i'm pretty sure it was ryan gruden <laughs> it, was, it, was, well, it was either ryan or worse yeah what if it was jay what if what if jay was like oh man you know who you gotta look at you gotta look at ryan ryan grant oh, that God. guy he's just turning heads well the other like, thing the, big, the biggest disappointment perhaps among the wide receiver bunch well, I'm not, it's not biggest, but it was a disappointment. It's Jameson Crowder. Like, Crowder had maybe three short catches on, like, seven or eight targets and muffed that punt. Like, when he's fumbling a punt, I mean, that that's just – it's not a good sign. It's not a good day. Yes, that was that was definitely one of the, like, top 15 or 30 signs that it was not a good day. <laughs> it was at least in the top 15. Um, no doubt. It happened during that stretch of, like, the first 20, 25 minutes of the game where just nothing was going right and I was trying not to yell and my son was actually like starting to get like emotional because he's six and he doesn't understand sports and and like if his team's <laughs> losing it's like cause for you know like a, you know like a quivering lip I, I, I react the same way tell him there's there's no shame in that I just sit there quivering I guess while we're on receivers like it's nice that Jordan Reed didn't get hurt uh, is there ever going to come a point where he catches the ball and that is not your first thought? Because it hasn't happened for me yet. 
Yeah, it was just good to see him out there. I felt like, if anything, he was maybe underutilized. I mean, that's hard to say. Maybe he wasn't getting open, whatever. But he just didn't seem like – if you were to say Jordan Reed's going to play the whole game, he's going to be seemingly healthy, he's going to be in top form, I'd be like, great, he's going to scorch Philly. <laughs> but he really wasn't that big of a factor. He, he – I. We have to wonder about the reports of the broken toe from before the game. I didn't hear what the follow-up on that was mm-hmm. because I think everybody got distracted. Right. But also, I, I, I just the offense as a whole, it was like the pieces that they lost were enough that everybody got taken down a level. All right, let's go to the offensive line, which was also a shit show. Um, it was. And I guess that while on the subject of injuries, like I'm just thankful that Trent Williams came back in the game after – getting an ankle injury about halfway through. That was like the one nice thing that happened, maybe. Yeah, it was great. He came back just so that his quarterback could yell at him for something. (laughs) That was weird. That was weird. Like, Kirk, you're not out there doing things that really put you in the place where you can yell at your guys right now. If you're going to yell at somebody, maybe yell at Morgan Moses for giving up good sacks. Yeah. That's a lot of sacks for one game. That should, be like a a that should be like a season. That should be a season of sacks. Well, it was what? It was like 60% of the sacks he gave up last season, right? Yeah. I mean, Fletcher Cox is also season. very good, you know, but maybe hold him to like a sack. Like just one sack would be fine. <laughs> uh, two. Two would it? It's by hitting three, you make two seem like a good number, you know? Right. Perfectly reasonable. On a rate basis, I, you're, you're just giving Fletcher Cox like a 48 sack season. <laughs> there's. So. The, the Redskins being on this string of, what is it now, five straight uh, season-opening losses, I feel like there's this knock-on effect into fantasy football where whatever team plays the Redskins the first week, everybody suddenly gets very excited about their players and decides that they're all very good. And I think that the Philly defense against the Skins' offensive line is going to be an example of that. I think everybody's going to be very fired up about how impressive that looked, and this is going to yeah. be their best game of the year. So... I think that um, even more so than Cousins, because Cousins has these bad games, I'm more worried about the offensive line's performance. Like, Philly's a good defense, but Cousins got sacked four times. He was under pressure a lot of the game. They couldn't run the ball. More on that in a second. You know, Robert Mays told me on this podcast the Skins have a top 10 offensive line. They got all the starters back. All five guys were, you know, healthy or healthy-ish at least going into week one. And that was just a bad show. That, I mean, they, they like I was saying about Cousins, they, they won't win if Cousins plays like that. They won't win if the line plays like that. Well, there's no way they can. And it, as you point out, what was most terrifying about it was that there was no, like, well, okay, if we can just wait through until, you know, Trent comes back or something happens. Like, this is supposed to be the starting group. Right. And yeah. it's not, it's not going to work. It's not even, like, tie-in Seki time. <laughs> no, that- although we did get to see tie-in Seki, which is always exciting. I did pronounce that right, Ty Anseki. Yeah, I, no, I think it's actually pronounced Piri. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Transition, smooth transition to the running back group. Was there any Piri sightings? I know he didn't get a carry. Was he dressed? I, was he on the field? I, was he mentioned in the broadcast? I did not. Piri may not as it may have well as not existed yesterday, as far as I could tell. Yeah, no. If if there was any sign of him, I missed it entirely. Um, it was we, it was we, a Rob Kelly show of three yards in a cloud cloud of dust all game long. Oh, he didn't have a, a cloud way. of dust. Yeah, you're you're way too kind. There was no cloud of dust. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but uh, you're you're forgetting that Chris Thompson was arguably the highlight of the entire offense. Well, um, the, the so the touchdown was fantastic. Yes. Well, that was the highlight of the entire offense. I mean, that, that was, was that, that was seventy percent of their points scored on the day was was on that one play where he was like <laughs> bouncing off three defenders and turning like a seven yard gain and a twenty eight yard touchdown. All right, I think we got cut out there for a minute due to the aforementioned fact that both of us are driving while podcasting. Uh, I think you were saying that the Chris Thompson touchdown was a fine example of a play that usually happens to us, not for us. Uh, that's pretty much it, and you put it much better than I did. So let's oh, just you. let's just put a pin in that. Do you think? <laughs> you. Do you think? Do you think that uh, Kelly is a viable starter? Fat Rob. Yep. No. I I kind of don't either, and I kind of feel like this is it's back to the cousin thing again because there were points last year where I, I would be in a conversation with you with other people and say things like, I don't know, man, I just think I think Rob Kelly is just kind of a guy. Like he's good, he he's fine, but he's not, I don't know he's somebody that you really want out there starting for you. And I feel like we used to have the same conversation about cousins, and at some point we they reached their apex and we all talked ourselves into them uh and I, i'm real worried that what we saw yesterday is actually a more true picture of what we can expect from all these people i mean i like rob kelly just like i liked alfred morris and i don't i mean morris is great when like you know griffin had the the read option and whatever that whole rookie season was was happening but alfred morris is just a guy alfred morris is like you know either second or third on the skins i mean on the cowboys depth chart jockeying for position with like 30 whatever year old Darren McFadden but with the skins Rob Kelly is our number one that's not great I mean he, he I didn't think he did much to distinguish himself last year the beef I have with Rob Kelly is not just that like as a runner he's only going to get what he is given like I don't see him like breaking off big runs he's basically going to run through the hole and or make the read and get the yards that you would hope he would get with the blocking that he's been given but he's also not a receiving threat out of the backfield. So it's either run or play action with him, and there's no real guessing game. And that's that's bad. Yeah, uh, yeah it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> are, are, we, are we giving in to the negativity here off week one? Are we being the most stereotypical Washington sports fans on earth? You know what? I mean, look, the Redskins had a, uh, a, a, I'd say a preseason that had pretty much like bad vibe after bad vibe, like waves of, of vibes. It was a very bad, wavy preseason. And then they come out and lay an egg against a division rival in week one. And on the offensive side of the ball, they were terrible. They scored 10 points. So whatever. We're fans. We're like, how else, how else should we react? Oh, it's going to be fine. They've got, well, a, no, I, they've got a treacherous schedule ahead, and they averaged eight and a half wins a year the last two years. I'm sure they'll turn it around. <laughs> yeah, well, you've convinced me. I think that uh, I, I think that uh, we're all doomed. I'm totally on board. <laughs> I, but this is also, I mean, the running back thing. I, this is why I wish we got to, a sniff of P. Ryan. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm, I'm curious. Like, could he be a difference-making running back? Like, Kelly seems dependable, reliable, like replacement-level running back. Maybe P. Ryan's more than that. Thompson's exciting. He seems like a really good third-down back, but. I don't know if there's any hope for him being more and like expanding his role. I, 
I also this is another thing. While I'm just on, I'm on like a negative rant of like a know nothing fan, just like shooting from the hip. I feel like if all three of these backs were in the Patriots offense, or you know, not necessarily with the personnel, but the way that the Patriots offense is coached and, and coordinated, it would be much more dynamic. Like it's very regimented with the skins. It's going to be Fat Rob on first and second down, and Chris Thompson on third down, and you know, like. With the Patriots, like you don't really know who's going to be back there, and they're mixing it up throughout the game. It seems far more effective. The worst, the worst example of that predictability was when uh, that that horrible, horrible injury occurred to what's the name Darby. Oh yeah, uh, the defensive back. And yeah. look, like that sucked, and it was disgusting to watch. And I feel bad for the guy as a human being and whatever else. But the fact of the matter is that it took however many minutes for them to, you know immobilize him and get him off the field and figure out what was wrong and then the skins came out and ran the ball twice like, <laughs> that was the time that was the time when i said if it were the patriots oh, like yes everybody in the building would be like well i bet we're gonna go straight at them right and they would have gone straight at him and no, it no mercy would have worked yeah, yeah. like well this is the leg man so that i mean that's perhaps bad play calling but i feel like what gets overlooked with the whole you know, discussion about the offense and Cousins' effectiveness is that this offense is and has been pretty one-dimensional. Like, the last two years, they did not have an effective running game. They didn't have an effective running game yesterday. You can say as much as you want that they should run the ball more, but when you're averaging three yards or less a carry, like, it, it doesn't make sense to. Um, and I don't. I think that's just something that gets, like, lost in the mix. Is Cousins would probably be a far more effective quarterback if they had a more effective running game. All right, let's turn to the defense where they were relatively great, right? Oh, yeah, spectacular. I mean, they scored almost as many points. Yeah, I mean, like I was saying, they still gave up, even when you account for the uh, pick six, you know, not a fumble, whatever, whatever. I guess it wasn't a pick six. It was a fumble six at the end of the game. If you take that off, you take the two-point conversion off, they only gave up 22 points, but Philly's not a, an offensive juggernaut. So, I don't know. I thought the defense was fine. The, the defense was fine. The, I, what, what I can't figure out is where they weren't fine. They kept giving up on third down again, and it was like on first and second down, it looked like a totally new defense. It, was, it felt like a lot of the problems were gone. They were getting pressure on the quarterback. Uh, they, they made some plays in coverage. And then every time third down came around, it was like, oh, wait, nope, it's it's same guys again. So that was excruciating. And it pissed me off because last year they were terrible on third down, like league worst in, on third down. I thought that was one of those stats where there's regression to the mean year to year. And we were going to just through, <laughs> just through like the, the, the laws of, of mathematics, like they were going to be OK on third down this year. But nope, the Philly was like eight for 13 on thirds. Yeah, it looked every bit as bad. I really like the idea of building your team slogan around the concept of regression to the mean, though. Like, <laughs> right. Redskins 2017, it literally can't be as bad as oh, last year. I got another one for you. They were terrible in the red zone on offense last year, so I was hoping that would regress to the mean. This year, they didn't, ta- they didn't get a snap in the Eagles' red zone until there was two minutes left in the third quarter. How does it even happen? Not a snap. I don't know, and they really they made the most of that. And then once um, they did get in the end zone, they got nothing. They were 0 for 2, I think, in the red Well, I think they got three points out of two trips to the red zone. 
I, I know we're supposed to be talking about the defense, but I, I can't I'm help sorry. but keep har- harping. No, no, no. I'm, I'm with you. I can't help but keep harping on how much I blame Kirk Cousins for the red zone issues. Like, I, I, I don't have, I don't have, you know, you had Mays on. I don't have Mays's keen insight into the nitty gritty of football, but just, just watching it, it, I feel like Cousins has problems in the red zone. I feel like it's just that simple. Like, yeah, and if you're a quarterback. That's hard to overcome. That's a tough issue. Yeah. A quarterback on a team yeah, that's, in a running game. Yeah. It, it's, you know, if you're, if you're a quarterback and you're really bad buried inside your own territory, you can probably work around that. Yeah. Uh, but being incapable of scoring from inside the opponent's 20, uh, that, that seems... Well, yeah. And especially subpar. when you've got a defense like the Redskins do where you know, you're just kind of hoping that this defense will hold the other team to 20. Uh, in this game, let me let me say something positive because I feel like I've just been whining and it's probably annoying to the to all of our listeners, our our legion of listeners. Um, the cornerbacks, the cornerbacks, I thought played pretty well. Like Josh Norman's always pretty good to great. Uh, I thought Breland had a really good game after a down year that he you know that he had last year and the poor preseason he had. Uh, Kendall Fuller looked good. Like the corners as a group, I thought were were. Uh, well ahead of what I was hoping for. Well, I, I agree with that, but I feel compelled to continue to be negative because I don't. I, you know, nobody's listening to me. Uh, well, nobody's listening to me. But if they were, they wouldn't be doing it to your positivity. I thought that uh, what terrified me, um, maybe the most on the defense, was uh, Swearinger. Oh, okay, on the busted play mm-hmm. where. Um, What's his name? Carson Wentz gets loose. And, oh, and, uh, yeah. Wentz. But was and, it, was yeah. it the uh, Nelson Aguilar touchdown, the long one? Yeah, that was, that was, that, that's the guy. The, whatever, that yeah. guy. But the fact that, you know, after the eight missed tackles and whatever else, that you just have Swearinger in the shot on the screen as the touchdown scores, and he's like, well, missed that tackle. Like, <laughs> it just felt like, it felt like this moment of, yeah, that's probably why that guy's been on whatever it is, three teams previously. And we can talk all, all preseason about how he's going to really finally solidify the safety position. But I was watching that, and I'm like, yeah, that's how somebody winds up here. Yeah, yeah I was kind of hoping that Sua Cravens would come out of the stands and make a tackle on that play. You know, <laughs> there, was, there was nobody else in the neighborhood on that touchdown. Um, the safeties, I don't know. He Swearinger was active at least. I felt like his name was called. He was around the ball a lot. I don't know that I heard DeShazer Everett's name, you know, and he's the guy who had to start now that Craven's semi-retired. Yeah, yeah. I think he showed up. I think he made a tackle or two. I vaguely remember seeing him because I think I said, oh, hey, that's that guy. Uh, right. But no, he made no, no huge impact. The two guys, I, I was kind of disappointed, though maybe I just wasn't watching closely enough. I mean, I've heard people say that Jonathan Allen had a good game. Uh, also, uh, I always forget his name. The other Alabama guy, is it Ryan Anderson, the second rounder? Ryan the linebacker? Anderson, yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I didn't see him out there much. I mean, need, I was hoping for more of an impact from those guys. I was too, uh, but I felt like there was more general pressure on the quarterback, which didn't always get home, and he, he made a couple of good plays out of it. But I'm telling myself in my more optimistic moments that those two guys being there helped contribute to that sort of collapsing pocket and, and to his need to escape. Yeah. If they could have just tackled Carson Wentz, uh, it would have been a whole different game. <laughs> they were totally able, different game. Able also, to actually sack the quarterback that they had successfully gotten to. 
different game altogether. Sure. <laughs> Same thing if they had been able to pull in any of the interceptions that they managed to tip uh, or, or knock down. Um, and also, not to mention, if uh, they had been able to convert uh, any any of their plays on offense or stop people on third down. If any of those things had happened, totally different game. Oh, I just got a, an, an alert. Uh, Zach Ertz has converted another third down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really impressed with his stick to itiveness. You know, it just really keeps on grinding out there. Ah, uh, total grid grinder, Zach Ertz. I hate that guy. <laughs> he kills the Redskins. Um, well, but see. so, wait, wait, but they, they, they kept saying that on the broadcast, too. They're like, hey, you know, uh, Zach Ertz, he's just been a Redskins killer. W- weren't the Redskins running a, working a five-game winning streak against the Eagles? They were. They did have a good stat. I forget what it was. It was something like 60% of his career 100-yard games have come against the Redskins. And of I knew, course they I, have. I think Rondé Barber, was it Rondé Barber? Was he the barber that was in the uh, booth yesterday? I think so. I, I think so. I, yeah, that, that, that presented quite a math problem for him. <laughs> he was trying to like express how <laughs> that is. And I was like, look, they play twice a year. That's like a little more than 10% of their games. Anyway. <laughs> um, they play twice a year and he's a tight end and the, there's yeah. been no... Covering, you know, no safety who could do anything for Redskins in years. So it stands to reason. I'll buy it. Uh, what else on the defense? Always nice to see Ryan Kerrigan make a big play. He, t- he had the pick six to the house, which totally like turned the tide of the game. It was the, the game had started exactly as I had feared it would with Philly just jumping all over the Redskins. Redskins making tons of mistakes. It was 14 nothing like right away. Skins had nothing going. And then Kerrigan gets that tipped interception and takes it to the house uh, as he does. And then, yeah, I think he had another sack, like not that long after that. Uh, so one, that was one shining light, I guess, one positive thing. Yeah, I mean, it really it did turn the time of the game around, turn the tide of the game around from unwatchable to kind of watchable for a yeah, while. Yeah, made good. it interesting. I like that. Yeah, the whole like mid, the mid section of the game, like the second, third quarter was like, oh, well, this is something. You know, this is actually, you know, it was really only the second quarter. It was really only the second quarter. Yeah, because was... I, uh, while we're here, like the Redskins had turned the tide. It was from thir- down 13 nothing to up 14 13. Eagles had the ball with like a minute left in their own territory. It was like third and eight, maybe like 45 seconds left. And Gruden calls a timeout. Gruden calls a timeout, presumably to get, like, make the stop and get the ball back. Like they were really feeling oh, themselves. Yeah. And what happens? I think it was a Zach Ertz third down conversion. It was it was definitely a, they make they got the first down in any event, and yep. ended up going down and having just enough time to make a fifty yard field goal before the half. That's just not how you want to end like a really like momentum changing second quarter. Well, I mean, let's let's be real. You keep talking about the second quarter like this was Super Bowl twenty two. I mean, they they showed up. <laughs> Doug Williams threw five <laughs> touchdowns. I was ten. Doug Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Doug Williams was probably having a better second quarter in whatever booth he was sitting in. Like they looked okay, but right. there was no point right. in the second quarter where I was like, "Ah, oh, yeah, this is what we've been waiting for." <laughs> well, it became a game again. It, is my point. Like, yes, it was fair nice while it fair lasted, enough. but then it was pretty much nothing from there. I mean, it was like a battle of field goals for like the next quarter and a half. I'm trying to think like what else was notable about the defense. Preston Smith made got a sack. I think that's the first thing he's done since uh, December 2015. Um, yeah, and I 
I have inexplicably constructed this thing in my head where Preston Smith really is a momentum guy, and he needs that early sack to get going. So I really felt like that right. was a big deal. I, again, I have no evidence for this. Yeah, but I'm got, with you on that. The, I felt that. Works in my head. I felt that. Yeah, I totally. was like, oh, this is the guy who was like got defensive play rookie of the year votes. He's he's back. Um, yep. Speaking he's, of coming back, Junior Gallette. There was a couple Gallette sightings. I don't know if he actually got. I don't think he got a sack, but there was some pressure. Might have been a pressure involved. And didn't he have a, a big play negated by a penalty? Maybe that's what I'm thinking. I, I don't remember. But, yeah, yeah, great. He's back. I'm excited excited to see him. It's uh, well worth the two years of buildup. Well, it's kind of, of like a, it's kind of a, it's, it's a Jordan Reed situation where it's like, oh, he didn't get hurt? Like, that's a win. Um, anything he could give us, uh, including good health, is, is positive. Uh, I'm trying to think just bouncing around the defense if there's anything else worth mentioning zach brown zach brown looked good oh yeah zach brown he was like player of the game yeah i mean i no complaints there that that looks like a good pickup yeah um well i feel good about that i don't know i mean the makings of, the makings of a average defense are there <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the title of the uh, the year in review special. Assuming good health and no injuries, <laughs> they could finish like 15th in defense. <laughs> so the other day I went with a buddy. Uh, we were picking up. He was buying a six-pack of beer. We were at a liquor store in D.C. proper uh, up in Northwest. And uh, the liquor store's owner was uh, a Korean gentleman, a little older than us, probably 10, 10 years older than us. Um, and my friend and I were talking about the Redskins when we came in, and he heard us. And he went into the saddest, like, oh, when I, you know, I remember the being in the parade, and my friends and I were just leaning out the window cheering. And ever since then, I sit here and I just wait for the team to give me a chance to be happy again. And like, I feel like this season is just right off the bat turning into a major league movie, uh, <laughs> where people are just sitting around <laughs> morbidly depressed all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how's life? Taking forever. <laughs> uh, uh, so that brings us to special teams, I think. Yeah, well, the Crowder fumble happened, or what? I guess is it, does it count as a fumble when you just don't catch it? Like it I was, believe it's, it's a, it sucks. It's a muff. Whatever it's it a was. muff. It was a muff punt, I think, and yeah, it was bad. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they made their field goals and extra points. They, the the tress way is fine. I mean, what else yep. about special teams? Yeah, no, they they were they were abs they existed. Uh, aside from Crowder, they they really. Danny Smith wasn't involved. That makes me feel good. <laughs> I like that you you will always have that now moving I, forward. You can I, always honestly, cling to I that. I can't even name the Redskins special teams coach right now, and that's how I like it. He's got a uh, he's got a really complicated last name with a lot of consonants in it. I want to say it's like Ben Kowatsika or something like that. Yeah, some something like that. I might be in the area uh, code on that name. I'm not sure. <laughs> We're really covering ourselves with glory as media members or, or okay. observers of the well, team. We save here. this for like however hours into this podcast we are, but I, we should talk about the Cousins fumble slash incomplete pass call at the end of the game. Because I still, I know it was called a fumble on the field. And I know that, look, they probably weren't going to win anyways, and they did more than enough to lose. But that call was a crock of shit. Sure, sure. And they, they really, they deprived Cousins uh, of the chance to throw the back-breaking final interception. <laughs> um. Right, you should thank them for that. 
<laughs> he was like, no, guys, we're good. We're good. Let's run it off the field. We don't need to uh, look at the replay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, that was the, the best possible ending for him. But, yeah, no, it was, it was a crock. But, like, I, I really – I've never cared so little about a call going against the team that I was ostensibly yeah. hoping would, would win. I was just like, whatever, man. Like <laughs> – it's like the I, least yeah. of the problems. I was pretty resigned by that point. I was like, oh, good. Now I can watch the Red Zone channel. Finally. <laughs> it's it, it would be funnier if it weren't so completely true. Like, right. I'm so excited when I finally get to watch, like, just a never-ending series of fun football. Oh, yeah. And it's week one, one o'clock games. This is like the fantasy smorgasbord. And I'm stuck with the Redskins shitting the bed against Philadelphia for three hours. <laughs> Yep, that is uh, that that sums it up right there. <laughs> One thing I saw you mention on Twitter that jumped out at me from the broadcast is the addition of Dean Blandino oh to the Fox broadcast. So now they have not one of ex officiating guy like talking about the the refereeing and and Mike Pereira, but two, and they had to spend like what felt like fifteen minutes introducing Dean Blandino to the mix. It was amazing. Like that, you could run that totally unchanged, exactly as it appeared in like uh, one of those sort of uncomfortable comedy movies, like in The Office or something. <laughs> like, and like with with no change whatsoever, I was watching it just jaw drop. Blandino looked like he had never been on camera before. Dude, he reminded me of two things. One was Steve Carell's character on Anchorman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the other was... Whoever Bobby Moynihan is playing on Fox and Friends, whenever SNL does a Fox and Friends sketch, basically, if you're not familiar with these, these references, like just a totally clueless, like TV talking meat puppet who just smiles at the camera and there's nothing going on inside his head. How, how great would it be if the next time they pop back up, you know, uh, uh, Mike Pereira gives his long speech that's inevitably wrong about how whatever is going to be overturned. And then, and then Dean Blandino is just like, I like lamp. And then they just throw it back to the booth. <laughs> Here's what I want. Well, first of all, whatever, whatever Fox does, whatever the NFL does with, with the ex-referees who look at the replays and weigh in on the broadcast, I want two things. One, I want Blandino to stay involved. Blandino's too funny, too unintentionally hilarious to remove from the broadcast at this point. You got to keep Blandino in the picture. Secondly... If they're going to do this, where they throw it to two guys to talk about the replay review, it's up to them. They make the call. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to hear Pereira be like, that's definitely an incomplete pass, dick. And then have the referee come out and be like, yeah, it's a fumble. Your team's lost. Sorry, guys. And then Pereira is still like relitigating it on Twitter 14 hours later. Like, I'm still watching it, and uh, it's, it still looks like a forward pass. It's like, no one cares, Mike. It does not matter anymore. All right, sorry. I had a lot to get off my chest there with the addition of Dean Blandino. I'm sorry to get so deep into Blandino territory. It was hard not to, man. That was like some some weird outsider art happening there. It was great. Well, um, like so in a similar vein to like me being so excited about the Red Zone Channel on the first fantasy, you know, smorgasbord of the season. I'm also this. This was the first Redskins game of the season, obviously, and I'm pretty engaged. Like, I'm. It's like the first, maybe second quarter. Um, you know, all about it. And they spend 10 minutes introducing, introducing the Pereira Blandino booth. <laughs> like, I could not have cared less about that in the moment. 
And I can't emphasize enough that when you say introducing, it, it sounds much more active and exciting than it actually was. It was more like they kept trying to explain to Blandino that he was supposed to be talking. Oh. And like he just kept gazing up and to the right. It was like it was amazing. <laughs> well, there was plays going on. Like it was actually during the action and they had a split screen of Pereira Blandino. And then it would be like, oh, uh, Redskins just failed on third down again. <laughs> it's like, dude. Show this, show the game. Come to them during a timeout or something, at best. Anyways, all right, I think I've exhausted right, well, myself. I'm glad we worked through that. Well, I have one, one more thing I want to talk about, which is let's say that next week uh, in LA that, that the Sean McVay led Rams team hangs, I don't know, 55 on, on, on Washington. Uh, do you think that there are immediate, you know, insane Dan Snyder consequences from that? Oh, God. Um, I haven't gone there yet mentally. So they'd be 0-2 facing Oakland, and then they have somebody tough after Oakland. I forget who. Like Dallas or somebody. No, not Dallas. Somebody good, though. Seattle? Green Bay? One of those teams. Um, Man, I don't think that they could make any drastic changes at 0-2, but I would say that these, like, and this is pretty reactionary, like, uh, you know, stupid fan comment. The season would be over. <laughs> like, it would be done. I would, I, week three, I would be choosing Red Zone Channel over Redskins. Like, that, I think that's uh, what I happens. I don't see anything reactionary about that. That seems like a measured, carefully thought out take. I think you're good. Um, now, now, that said, I, uh, this, this I, hypothetical, by the way, is if the Rams treat the Redskins like they just treated the Andrew Luckless Colts. You know? Correct. Like, if the Skins show up in LA and like whatever they lose a tough one you know you can deal with that maybe they rebound the season still early but if they come out and get smacked around by the Rams yeah it's it's tough to see how you get to contention from there in, in 2017 see I just I think that narratively and in in I don't know jealousy and crankiness I think if McVay beats up on them and then if uh, the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan a few weeks further down the line beat up on them I think that you're then entering like bingo caller territory uh, for, for what <laughs> what the front office might do. Sherm. Is it Sherman Lewis? Is he the other set of eyes? He he was the other set of eyes. And and I want to point out we've officially made it one week into the regular season before I'm making doom and gloom bingo caller predictions. So Oh my god. That's a good sign. See, I don't know. I'm hoping for a win, of course, next week. I really I mean I just want to get back to my preseason, pre-preseason expectation of like this team's going to be like eight and eight, nine and seven. We're going to contend in December. Who knows what could happen? Like just, just get me back there. <laughs> Strive you've for taken that me all the way. To, you've taken me all the way to the territory of uh, who was it that got fired, and Terry Rubisky became the interim head coach. Was that was that Spurrier? No. Schottenheimer, Turner? <laughs> or was it Norv? Or was, was it Norv? There's, there's so many possibilities. You're taking uh, me to that to that type of territory. Well, I didn't I didn't mean to get us quite that far quite so early. Um, yeah. but you know, whatever. Nobody's listening at this point anyway. It's fine. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Matt. Uh, if you haven't made it this far, <laughs> subscribe subscribe to the Mystery Relevant Podcast. Wherever the fuck you listen to podcasts. Um, Follow Matt on Twitter, at Matt Searle, read him in the city paper. He writes every few weeks. 
<laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm back. I'm going to be more regular now. I'm He's just, back. Uh, I'm recharged. Things Batteries are ready well. to go. Things must be going well with the new editor. A lot of enthusiasm. I like her a lot. Oh, hey, by the way, yeah, she's great. Uh, are you are you going to cover the Nats at all? Because that seemed like kind of a big deal. Yeah, I, I eventually. I don't know. I okay. mean, this is their fourth division championship now in six years. Uh, it was yeah. like, it, was, it felt like preordained. Um, you know, my parents, my, my mom and dad were at the Nats game last night or yesterday afternoon and they knew that like clinching was a uh, possibility clinching the division but in typical mm-hmm. DC sports fashion like they won the game and then they had to wait an hour to clinch so my parents were like yeah we're getting we're, we're, hit, we're getting the road <laughs> just, we're not gonna sit here in Nats Park and wait for the party I, I cannot blame them I it, yeah. it was probably a lot more fun for the players than anyone else but yeah I, and I only asked because I wrestled with that yesterday when I found myself writing about the the Redskins game for some reason when it really seems like the Nats story is maybe more fun and better and oh, maybe yeah. more important. Yeah. I don't know. It's just weird. But we're just in this like downtime between like whenever it was they locked up the division like May 7th and October, you know? I mean, it's great to have a first place team, you know, love to see all the guys coming back to the lineup, the you know, the rotation intact, but there's just not a whole lot to you know, get fired up about until October rolls around. Fair enough. All right. Uh, we'd love to have you back on next Monday, uh, hopefully under better circumstances, Matt. But thanks for giving me uh, 18 hours of your time. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you, Jamie. All right. See you guys.